Welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. And this is part two, the final episode of a little series we've done about exploring the possible dangers of the Enneagram. In part one, we talked about the different critiques and criticisms that have been leveled against the Enneagram from those who are Christ followers. In this episode, we talk more about our disagreements and some of the holes we saw in their arguments. We also offer other tools that can help you as we talk more about this subject. So let's dive into it. If you don't know theology very well, if you don't have a mature walk with God and a mature understanding of Scripture, you got to be careful, very careful. That's where I would agree with Remnant Radio, Marsha Montenegro, and Chris Bergen and Sean McDowell. But I do have some disagreements with them as Mm -hmm. well. For instance, Marsha Montenegro does not endorse any contemplative practices. Oh, yeah. Both her and Bergman, to a certain extent, both came down pretty harsh on contemplative practices, which I've also found extremely helpful in my walk with God. So that certainly seems like a sticking point. Yes. And we're going to talk more about what we mean by contemplative practices. And we've done plenty of episodes where we're delving into those as tools. Speaking of tools... I would say my take, and this is my only my personal opinion, when it comes to Marsha Montenegro, she came out of the New Age movement. And so anything that would feel somehow close to that spiritually, I think she has some knee-jerk reactions to. That's my sense of things. And here's what I would say on that topic before I move to some other stuff. The enemy takes the things that God does, Mm -hmm. and he perverts them into his own use to lead us astray. It doesn't mean the things he's polluted and perverted aren't true. He's twisted them. The enemy creates counterfeits from the real. He twists scripture. The point of the things that he twists is to make it seem like the real thing. There's that whole idea in the Secret Service How do you spot counterfeit money? You study the true money so closely and know it so well that you can spot a counterfeit a mile away because you're so intimately familiar with what's true. The enemy is called the father of lies. Whatever God says is true, the enemy twists that. So should we have a knee-jerk reaction and throw the baby out with the bathwater? I would say no. So contemplative practices can be helpful, but if the enemy takes them and twists them into new age practices, then should we throw out the true practices with the false? For instance, meditation is all over scripture. David says he meditates on his bed all night long. The new age takes the idea of meditation and twists it. Should we throw out meditation? It's a contemplative practice. No. Scripture first, right? Yeah. Meditating on scripture. Meditating in a biblical way. That's where I would disagree with Marsha Montenegro. We don't throw out solid spiritual practices. You don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. On the other side of things, I disagree with Chris Berg on a number of issues. 
One of them is his idea of pragmatism. A lot of them tried to figure out why is the Enneagram so popular? Right. And they had a lot of reasons. My understanding of the Enneagram, why it's so popular, is because it's a tool that will help guide you in taking steps into a deeper relationship with God. That's how it's being offered, a tool that will help you know yourself better, know God better, because self-awareness and God-awareness are intricately linked. In Isaiah, Jesus is called God with us, Emmanuel. God meeting us where we are. We see this in the manger. God did not wait for us to come to him. He came into our world and met us where we are. Emmanuel, God with us. He meets us where we are. And I say this all the time. If we're not aware of where we are in our thinking and in our feeling, we're not self-aware, then how can we know where God is meeting us and where he's speaking into our lives? If we avoid and shove aside what we're thinking and feeling, aren't those things real? How we think in a moment, how we feel in a moment, isn't that the reality? And isn't God going to speak into that? So we need tools to help us know where we are so we can know where God is meeting us and we can become more intimately connected with who God is to us in our lives and the way he's displaying himself. That's practical. And that's what the Enneagram, that's why it's popular because I would say in the church, at least in the West, we do not do a good job of teaching people practical tools to walk with Jesus. We talk about reading scripture. We talk about prayer in very general terms. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, we're not doing a good job of walking people through practices and tools to help them in reading the Bible. This is exactly what happened in that podcast with Chris Berg. He was talking about Susan Stabile's book. He held it up and he said, one of the, the fundamental things is your time. What are you going to spend your time doing? And he held up her book and said, you could spend your time reading this. And then he reached on the shelf and pulled up the, out the Bible and said, or you could spend your time reading this. I wouldn't disagree with that. Yes, we should spend time reading scripture. But he wrote a book denouncing the Enneagram. So here's an author telling you not to read books, but only read the Bible. If you didn't want people reading books other than the Bible, why did you write a book? Yeah. Like, that's foolish because books help us. The scriptures are important, but if we don't read books on systematic theology, if we don't read books on understanding scripture, commentaries, pastors read books on understanding scripture that Bible scholars have written, like, that's a fallacy, it's acting like everybody knows how to read the Bible. Like everybody should just read the Bible and know what that means <laughs> without, again, giving people tools to help them do the things you're telling them to do. And that is the, the problem with the Western church. We just assume everybody knows how to pray. We just assume everybody knows how to read the Bible. And that is not true. And we are losing the art of discipling people and giving them tools that they need. And there is the popularity of the Enneagram right there. Mm. It is presented as a tool to help you understand yourself and therefore understand where God is meeting you and become 
more aware of what's going on in you and become more aware of God's presence. And it's popular because of that. So that's my big argument with a lot of those guys, that they tore down something that was being presented as a tool, but they did not give us any tools. That's not enough. And so you and I have done episodes where we guide people through Lectio Divina as a tool to read scripture in a way that we're listening for God's voice. We talk a lot about listening prayer because when we talk about prayer, we often just couch it in the terms of us talking to God. Right. Or a formula. A formula, which is really usually about us talking to God Mm -hmm. in a specific way, which are great. I'm not knocking those. I've used formulas before, and and they've been very helpful. I need to invite God into what I'm thinking and feeling. I need to confess those things and share those with God. But I also need to make time to listen for his response. Mm -hmm. Someone who I really respect said, Kurt, end the conversation with God. Who is it more important to hear from who? Is it more important for you to hear from God or God to hear from you? Well, my answer is it's way more important for me to hear from God than it is for him to hear from me. If all I do is share my thoughts with God and never make the time to listen to his thoughts about what I just shared, how is that helpful? It's not. The church, the very church we're talking about, is how I grew up. And it was always my frustration. I mean, until I went to Youth with a Mission, that was the first time I was offered any tools. And I was 20, and I'd been in the church since I was a little kid. So figure at least 15 years worth of being a Christian without any tools, just being told to pray, or just being told to read the Bible and not, not knowing what I was doing. And just feeling like I was running around hoping God wouldn't slam doors in in my face or hoping that actually that might be the best case scenario because at least then I knew I was going the wrong direction. To be fair, in those times, you had experiences with God where he showed up supernaturally, initiated, and engaged you in conversation and spoke clearly for you to hear, correct? Yeah. The problem was I didn't recognize it. So if you had had somebody to help you understand when God was speaking to you and identify what was God's voice and what wasn't. Isn't the point of discipleship to help people who are younger in their faith, who haven't been in this relationship with Jesus as long as we have, move further, faster? Isn't that the point? Aren't we there to invest in people and teach them tools that we've learned through the fumbling and the years to help them get to that point faster? than we did and to grow more intimate with God and for them to become closer in the relationship and be used more effectively from God than we ever will be. Isn't that the point of discipleship? Oh, yeah. I mean, didn't Jesus himself say, you will do greater things than I to his own disciples? Isn't that the heart of discipleship? The desire for those who are coming behind us to be more intimate with God and do greater works in that intimacy and maturity and overflowing in that love. Isn't that the point? Oh, yeah. So, yes, tools like Lectio Divina, which is making space, slowing down in your reading of Scripture to ask God questions as you read and reading it multiple times to allow God to speak through it to reveal things. 
We read the same scripture three times. Slow down, read it, and ask three different questions. God, what is it you want to highlight to me in the scripture? That A word, a phrase, a sentence. What's important for me to, to see? Two, what's my emotional response to what I'm reading? There's the self-awareness. God, you show me, make me self-aware of what's going on in me. And then last, what is your gift or invitation to me today? So we're looking for what he's inviting us into, what he's giving us, so that we may obey. Walking with Jesus isn't about just head knowledge. It's also about actually practicing. And this is where Chris Berg said the problem with the Enneagram is it's pragmatism. But we are people of head, heart, and hand. If all it is is head theology, what use is that? That is not what it means to follow Jesus. It means to know him and obey him. To know him intimately, grow to become like him, and do the things he did. That's practical. That's pragmatism right there. I would say Paul would argue with Chris Berg because Paul was one of the most effective and practical followers of Jesus. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's practical. He wrote those letters. He wrote down the things he experienced. He shared what he believed about God, but he was out there doing it. And what he experienced and knew about God came from his practices. There's even a saying, right? Right orthodoxy, right theology or right knowledge of God brings right orthopraxy, right practices. You can't have... The knowledge of God without the practices. And this is where I think he's missing the mark. We're not teaching people good practices, giving them good tools. That is exactly why some people find the Enneagram helpful to understand themselves in a practical way so that they can walk in repentance, know where they're off in their relationship with God. I'm not saying that it's for everyone. In fact, as I said before, I think it's really for those who are walking in maturity, not new believers. I think they need to focus on the foundational stuff. But I'm just saying that this is why some people find it to be a helpful tool when it comes to knowing themselves for repentance, for the sake of repentance and surrender to God. Yeah, of course that's the draw. I mean, it makes sense to me because that's definitely was my experience after my initial freak out of this could be too much and having God go, no, this is a tool for you to figure out where you are at. So then you can see where my invitation is for you. And that's why people go to Youth With a Mission. It's why Youth With a Mission has grown in leaps and bounds despite the fact that, yeah, it's run by flawed humans and not all the experiences are good. Youth With a Mission's theme at their core is to know God and to make him known, to move from the head to the heart, to the hands. From theological knowledge in the head to heart experience with God, and heart experience often comes through doing. Yeah, that was what, for me, growing up in the church, what I felt like I was missing. Because I had a ton of head knowledge. My mother wouldn't see it any other way than for me to know what I believed and why I believed. And, and, you know, looking back now, I can actually be grateful for that, despite the somewhat traumatic experience of it in terms of how intense she was. But it was important. That's important to have that foundation of knowledge. 
to have a firm basis in scripture and theology. Those are important things. We're not discounting that. Right. But if it stays there and doesn't move, who says man looks in the mirror? James. Yeah. And then walks away and forgets who he is and doesn't do anything with it. It's worthless. The whole scripture talking about, you know, speaking in the voice of men or of angels and having knowledge and everything without love. It's all meaningless. Because that's what we're really talking about is love. Love is action. Love isn't static. It's not just a nice thought. It has to move us. Love is self-giving. John, in his gospel, in his, his account of Jesus' life, said, this is love, that Jesus gave up his life for us. This is love, mm-hmm. right? Not just a feeling. That is an action. And that is a sacrificial act. And that's what love does. It gives itself away. And if we're not practicing that with God, if we're not finding tools and practices that help us become aware of ourselves and what we're holding back, are we just thinking our own thoughts and not inviting God into those? Are we just feeling these feelings and not sharing them with God? That's not love, because love is self-giving. So the Enneagram, as a tool, what it has helped me is become aware where I was thinking thoughts and not giving them to God. Feeling feelings and not giving them to God. And going to other things to make myself feel good because I did not allow God into those places to speak and love me and and reveal himself in those deep places of my thoughts and feelings. So self-giving love is both. God gives himself to us, but if I'm not giving myself back to God, I'm missing out. I have to be open to giving myself to God. That is love. And these things we're talking about, contemplative practices, have been huge in the last few years for me. I've been a Christ follower for for over three decades now. And it's only in the last three years of practicing daily things like Lectio Divina and the examine. The examine is after I give myself to him, I ask God two simple questions. Where was I open to your presence in the last 24 hours and where was I closed? Maybe that's one question. But you get the idea. And then I sit and I listen and I let God reveal the memories from yesterday where I was closed and where was I open. Where did I move with him? Where did I sense his spirit leading me? Where did I move with him? And where did I not see him moving and because I was closed off. And in both cases, there's not guilt there. There's joy and there's thankfulness that, okay, I missed this moment where you were leading me. I missed this moment of giving your love to another person. I missed this moment to pray with my wife. I wasn't open. But I thank you that I get to see it today because this is all I have. I missed it yesterday, but thank you for showing me today so I can walk in deeper intimacy and obedience to you today. That's practical. That's a tool that helps me pray and listen for God's voice. And in that practice, learning who God is, that he is, as Romans 8.1 says, he, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
that's amazing. So I'm learning when I'm listening to my own thoughts and feelings to notice where the enemy is trying to slip in there and bring shame or anxiety or insecurity or worry or or depression or whatever in as a weapon against me, I become more aware as I practice these tools, become more aware of where the enemy is trying to slide in and recognize him speaking as a counterfeit, acting like this is God speaking and giving me shame. I've become more and more aware, oh, that is the enemy, not God, and that which leads me then to give myself to him Again, love is self-giving. I said, notice those anxious thoughts that the enemy is trying to say are from God, those condemning thoughts that the enemy is trying to say from God and give them to God rather than run and hide from him, which I really believe a lot of Christ followers don't pray, don't spend the time in prayer and reading because when they, in reading scripture, because one, they don't know how to do it. And two, when they sit down to try, the enemy attacks and brings anxiety and judgment, and condemnation, and guilt. No one who feels those things on a regular basis when they sit down without knowing it's the enemy and not God are going to continue to come and pray and read scripture. That's why a lot of people don't spend a lot of time in God's presence. And so teaching people these tools, this is why we do what we do. Yeah, it's part of why I've loved the last, you know, last five, six years for me doing spiritual directions with you I've grown more in the last five six years than I did in a whole huge chunk of years before that because there was this that open invitation to be still and to listen to remember that these are practices which means you don't have to do them perfectly because it's not the big game right it's becoming muscle memory it's learning how and mistakes are fine as part of the point of practice is you don't have to be perfect with them. And just that invitation mm-hmm. to do that, to to wrestle with, you know, whatever self-preservation, in my case, which is extremely strong. <laughs> he's only laughing because he's got plenty of memories of that. You know, having the space to do that and to be safe to do that, you know, to not be in a rush, which we so often are. You know, we, we want answers now. And waiting is not, does not come naturally to most of us. Seems more than likely why he uses so many verses where he talks about planting mm-hmm. and harvesting and growth. Because no matter how much you want that darn plant to grow faster, it's going to grow at the speed that it's meant to grow at. Yes. And all you get to do is either help it or hinder it in that process. Yeah. You know, are you going to provide it what it needs? Or are you going to try to overdo it and possibly slow it down even more? Right. And I think that's that's the thing with the Enneagram. Yeah, it's a tool. And yeah, there are definitely things to be concerned about. There are things to be aware with its origins, with the language that can be used with the New Age language, with the theology that can sneak in if you're not aware, and especially if you take too deep a dive into it. Yeah. But... Once again, to not throw the baby out with the bathwater and to look at the parts of it that are helpful and go, God, is this something that you want to use as a tool in my life? And that's important, Kim. Asking God and giving God space to speak and seeing 
if he meets you there. And again, this is something that I think if you're young in your faith, you either don't do or you do in practice with somebody who you trust who is much more mature and is willing to do that with you. And this comes down to one thing that we haven't touched on yet that I said was a weakness in Todd Wilson's defense of using the Enneagram mm-hmm. was that he didn't use any scriptures. And I, I, would, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about at least some scripture that helps me be comfortable in using the Enneagram. And there is one in particular, and this goes back to the foundational issue of this coming from a practice that is tied with the occult and demons and that kind of thing. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 2. These are the scriptures that Paul talks about the good news. The very word that we use as gospel comes from the good news that Rome used. That was empire language. Rome used that language. Paul took it and used it to teach the good news of Jesus. He's, he's adopting language that Rome used. If you understand what the good news of Rome was, it was that Caesar was not only the king, he was a god. And I think this is where people who are waiting for the end times, in our case, Jesus to come back, that they look for signs that are mentioned, like things that would be happening in Revelation, not understanding that those things have all happened before. We're not very good students of of history. When it talks about that there'll be a one-world government and that everyone who wants to buy and sell and work even needs to take the mark of the beast. That happened in the first century, and it happened in Rome. Rome was the place that was creating the mark of the beast. What did that look like? In the Roman government, in the Roman Empire of the first century, the only way you could work from Rome's standpoint as a government was that you had to find employment through the guilt You couldn't buy and sell without taking the mark of the beast, which was submitting to the guilds at that Mm -hmm. time, their demand to worship Caesar as God. You couldn't even walk into the Colosseum to watch games without taking incense at one of the entryways and throwing it in the air and declaring Caesar as God. During Paul's time of writing about the good news of Jesus and using this language of the gospel, Those writers were writing at a time where Rome demanded you worship the emperor as a god. That's demonic. This is right back to what the New Age teaches, that we are gods, right? That's that's teaching that is demonic. From Rome's standpoint, it was a unifying factor in getting all these divergent people groups with different faiths and religions to be one united empire. The guilds were there to enforce that. It was seen as treason to not worship Caesar as God because it was the unifying factor of the empire. They would send messengers with the good news. 
that these people groups, they had a benevolent king, emperor, and God who was coming to take care of their every need and bring them into an empire that was true. That was the language, the gospel, the good news these messengers preached for Caesar, who was worshipped as a god. And if you would not worship him, as Christ followers would not do, you were thrown to the lions, you were killed, you were executed, you were sentenced to die as Paul was and Peter. And yet Paul himself took and adopted the language that was demonic and we quote it as scripture because he took it and redeemed it and used it for the kingdom of God. So my question is, if we could do that, use the language of a religion that was killing Christ followers, that's demonic. And worshiping an emperor as God, that's demonic. If Paul can do that, why can't we take and adopt this language even if it comes from demonic sources, which I believe it it probably does, or at least the people who are writing it, they had a false faith. Mm-hmm. Why can't we take that and redeem it and take it and use and and use that language to promote intimacy with God if it's done correctly and carefully? Paul did it, you know, and that's history. That's what I would say. I will say as a caveat. A one-world government, just because that happened once doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. We have that in Scripture. We have that happening, uh, an event happening multiple times. Daniel prophesies the abomination that causes desolation in the book of Daniel. And And it happened when Antiochus Epiphanes, who was a descendant of one of the generals who were under Alexander the Great, went into the temple in Jerusalem and sacrificed a pig on the altar and literally caused the whole temple to be unclean, the altar and the temple to be unclean in Jerusalem. But Jesus took that same language and said there was an abomination that causes desolation coming. So it happened twice. And in this case, it was when Rome, the very nation we were talking about that was worshiping the emperor, came and destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD. That was, again, the abomination that causes desolation. So it happened twice. And so if you want a good book to read on what I'm talking about and this historical information, again, see, other books are helpful. The book I would recommend is just simply a commentary on Revelation. The commentary is called Revelation, and the author is Dr. Christopher A. Davis. The introduction is 70 pages. I know that's intimidating, but the point of that introduction is to give us biblical history. How he came up with his interpretation, his commentary, is based on historical facts, what we know to be true in history. And he talks about the things I'm talking about. So, all that to say, that is why I'm comfortable using the Enneagram However, again, I would say this is not something that you take lightly. Mm-hmm. I will make a commitment right now. We've often talked about the Enneagram in different episodes where we're just talking about our number, our personality number. Like I'm an Enneagram 7, you're an Enneagram, Enneagram 9. We've talked about that in just passing. 
we will no longer do that. That's a commitment. If we're going to talk about the Enneagram, we're going to do a deep dive like we just did today. Other than that, we're not going to talk about it. Yeah. That's our commitment going forward. For and we, sure. And we apologize for not for talking about it and not going on a deep dive on all sides in the past again. Yeah. <laughs> we were a little naive, I suppose, in sure. some ways, which happens. Yes. It, it, but now that we do know, we have to go forward differently. And so that's part of our commitment to, to treat this with care and caution, not throw the baby out with the bathwater, but not treat it flippantly either. And also we're making a commitment that in this process of discovery, the, the, the goal that's been gleaned is how important tools are. Mm-hmm. I want to mention we've, we've done episodes on the examine. We've done episodes on that practice of listening prayer. We call it listening prayer. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about Lectio Divina. We've talked about the examine. So I would highly suggest going and looking up some of those episodes from Life Hurts, God Heals and listening to them and practicing them. We even walk the listener through practicing these tools so that you can get comfortable doing it with us like Lectio especially, and, and we talk about the examine and what, how to practice that. So we're committed to giving people tools so that they may grow deeper in the relationship through reading the scripture in a right way or in a helpful way and also praying in a helpful way that's biblical and accurate. We want to give people tools. So we're going to do that in this next season. We're going to spend time helping people with tools. Not every episode, but it's going to be a major focus of our upcoming episodes. Mm -hmm. So keep listening in. Sounds like a good plan to me. I've done a lot of talking. Yes, you have. And I think this is where you get to pray for everyone listening who are wrestling with this topic. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Dad, thank you that your word is true. That whatever you speak becomes reality. Dad, with this topic, this can be such a wrestling match for us, especially for those of us who've who've experienced you working and moving through this. Dad, show us where you are in this. For those who haven't had any experience with the Enneagram, Dad, that they would be willing to ask you the question, is this something you want for them to use as a tool? Or are they better off finding different tools. Father, help us to find your best for us because that's the desire of our heart. Dad, we don't want this to be based on our human understanding, which is so limited and so finite. Dad, we never see the big picture. We're not capable of it. But Dad, you see everything from beginning to end and you you know precisely what is best for those listening. Dad, thank you that you are providing the tools that we need to know you better. Thank you for your word, for your scripture, for your Holy Spirit that is that deposit, that promise of what's to come and what is. Dad, we just lay down lay down our desire to, to do everything perfectly. We're human and we're flawed and we have weaknesses. Yes. Dad, that's not a bad thing. Dad, you've promised that where we are weak, you are strong. Dad, help us to receive that invitation to be poor in spirit and recognize how weak we are, but how powerful you are, and to turn control back over to you where it belongs in the first place. 
Dad, thank you that you, you bring conviction, but you don't bring shame. Yes. Dad, you are so good, and there is no one better than you. So, Father, just show us more and more who you are and who we are as, as your image bearers. Dad, we just bless everyone listening with a greater openness to hear you and see you and find where you're moving and move there with you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kim. Thank you. This, what we just did, is not the be-all, end-all of this discussion on the Enneagram. Kim and I are finite. We're doing the best we can where we are. And we change. And the tools we use will change as well over time. It it has crossed my, my whole walk with Jesus. So... What you're hearing right now is where we are right now. It's not meaning we're going to be here in a year. This is the journey, and we will keep growing on the journey, and we will keep you informed as to where we are, because that's part of this, is us being open and honest about where God has us right now. Mm-hmm. And that's how God wants it, right? We, we're here to give ourselves away, because that's love, and receive all of God as he gives himself away to us. And we do this to give ourselves away to to those who are listening so that somehow this may be helpful for you on your journey. This is what love is for us. We don't have all the answers, but we know where we are in our walk right now, and we choose to invite you into this journey with us. So thank you for listening, and we hope you continue to listen, and we would love to hear from you as well. So please reach out and find us. We're, We're on YouTube. We would love it if you would like and subscribe because the more people do, the more people find us. And out of all of the ways that we promote our podcast, YouTube is the least known. And we have we don't have many followers there. Versus this podcast is actually in over 20 countries when it comes through iTunes or Spotify, Spotify Google, Anchor, Amazon. It's in 20 countries. So help us help other people subscribe to our channel on YouTube, Life Hurts God Heals, and like it. We're on YouTube, we're on Facebook, and you can also reach us through our, our overarching parent organization, Elevate Slow, and go to our website, elevateslow.com, and find us there and email me at Kurt at ElevateSlow.com. And that's just S-L-O, slow, not slow like the speed. It's the town we live in and the county we live in is San Luis Obispo. So it's Kurt at ElevateSlo.com. Yeah, reach out to us and we would love to hear from you. And if you need help with practical tools in your walk with God, yeah, we would definitely like to help with that. We offer ourselves in spiritual direction as well. If that's of interest, please reach out. Okay, enough said. Thanks again for listening. And please remember, you are God's beloved, so be loved.